Good morning. It's good to see each of you this morning. Thanks for being here with us. If you're joining us from home, I want to say thank you to you as well. We're so grateful that you're making what we're doing here a part of our Sunday morning together. Last week, we looked at um, one of the excerpts on the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, where we heard Jesus' call to love the way that he loves, to love even our enemies. And if you make your way through that, that whole sermon, which I would encourage you to do if you haven't recently, then um, you just can't help but escape the feeling that we are just wholly inadequate in the, in the call to follow Jesus as, as he calls us to. And uh, the reason I bring that up is because we're looking at a story uh, right after the Sermon on the Plain that shows us some of what just everyday faith looks like, what faith actually looks like as we seek to to live it out in our lives. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, is what what faith looks like as, uh, as the centurion looks to Jesus for healing. And then what faith looks like and how does Jesus respond to it. So if you could read with me here, this is Luke chapter 7, this verses 1 through 10. Please hear the word of the Lord. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to them, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. As we uh, stand under your word, and we ask that you might teach us, inform our faith, and teach us what it means for us to look to you with faith. So please use your word to encourage us, to edify us, to strengthen us. Give us a healthy and loving longing for you, Lord Jesus, our Savior. So Holy Spirit, please work among us. And please help me, your servant, to serve your people well and to honor you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago, I had the opportunity to um, to train some teachers for a church. And... They were doing some things like leading small groups and, uh, and teaching Sunday school and that kind of thing. And uh, it was during this time where it was one of those early Saturday mornings. Um, it's a fair bet that I was probably over-caffeinated at the time. 
And I kind of threw at them something, one of those strong axiomatic principles that teachers just love to say, you feel good when you say it, and I came to regret it later. Um, but I said to them that one of, I was talking about why teaching is good for us. It calls us to a deeper understanding of what it is that we're trying to teach. And, and that's, that's really good for us. And, and I said, hey, experiment on children. Like, teach them. Try and explain what you're trying to teach to children. And if, if you're ready to teach your children, then, you're probably, uh, then you probably understand it well enough to, uh, to teach it to adults. And in fact, this is where I think I got myself into hot water, but I said, in fact, if you can't explain what you're trying to teach to a child, then you're probably not ready, you don't understand it well enough to teach it to adults. Oh, that one hurt. Because a day later, I am at home, And my son, who at the time I think was about five years old, looked at me with curious eyes, already endowed with the gift of asking good questions. And he looked at me and he said, Daddy, what is faith? Now try and understand, like trying to explain faith. Listen, I'm paid to do this, right? I should be able to do this. But trying to explain, like we can talk all day about matters of faith, but trying to explain faith itself to people is quite hard. Like what is faith? I don't know, but maybe I know it when I see it. Uh, it's like this, it can, it can feel to us like this nebulous, abstract idea that's out there that it's hard for us to talk about, but uh, uh, I, I, it's hard for me to explain, but I sure do want more of it. That's the way that faith can feel to us, but it's kind of hard to explain it. And here in this passage, God does this for us in a lot of ways. Instead of offering propositional statements that define faith for us, it gives us stories that teach us, that invite us into understanding what faith is. And I would propose to you, that's what we have here, is this narrative that embodies the acting out of faith uh, in front of us, that, that, it, that it might call us to understand a little more about, for us, what it means for us to, to live out our faith in the everyday, uh, in an increasingly complex world. And so that's what we're talking about this morning, is how the story of the centurion's faith might inform our own faith, okay? And I'm going to ask three questions. What, is, what does faith do? What does faith do? What does faith understand? And what does faith value? What does faith do? What does faith understand? And what does faith value? First, what does faith do? And this is really simple, but I want to say that faith asks. Faith asks. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal the servant. Faith asks. And there's a lot about this backstory that we don't know about. Like, we don't know what the specific illness is. We don't know how life-threatening it was. We don't know that all the things that the centurion tried before he uh, sent his request to Jesus. But what we do know, is, and this is critical, is that the, the centurion looked to Jesus and entrusted to Jesus' care the thing that dominated his concerns the most. Faith asks. Now, that sounds simple, right? But in my experience... Asking is a lot harder than it should be. Because the act of asking, asking anyone for help, reveals so much about us. Asking reveals humility, because inherent in the centurion's request to Jesus is this uh, declared humility that, hey, I'm in too deep. I I can't handle this myself. I'm, I'm far beyond my own abilities to take care of that. Asking reveals 
a kind of humility that can be scary to admit to. And if asking reveals humility, it also reveals the desires of our hearts. If you look at verse 2, it says that this servant was highly valued by the centurion. And, and this language indicates to us that it's far beyond that this servant was like a really useful servant. That the centurion had relational love for the servant and his loss would have been felt deeply. And so we get a picture of this centurion's desire for this servant just in him sending this request to Jesus. And so finally, asking also reveals vulnerability. Because every, every, this happens every time we ask somebody for help. But there's always this critical moment where you are standing there and you are asking for help and you are saying to somebody, hey, can you make your concerns, or can you make my concerns your concerns? Can you, can you jump into this with me in solidarity with me? And you are vulnerable to the response of the person that you're asking, Right? Like they can either jump in with you, which is wonderful, or they could say no, and you can feel the rejection of that. And every time you ask for help, I mean, every time you ask for help, it it, it requires some level of vulnerability. And the only point that I'm trying to make for you here is that asking, the act of asking requires courage. You see this in a lot of ways, but um, one of the ways that it has stood out to me was it was in the... um, it was in a miniseries that, that I saw a couple years ago called Chernobyl. It, 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 uh, it displayed for us just the horrible explosion of a nuclear power plant at, uh, at Chernobyl and the aftermath of it. And uh, I'm not recommending it at all. It's parts of it kind of gruesome and, and difficult to watch. But one of the things that stand out for me when I was remembering that was uh, the way that these, in the aftermath of it, these governing leaders gathered themselves together and they were trying to answer the question, what to do now? And they really had two options on the table. One was we're going to try and cover it up and maybe mitigate uh, the effects of this as much as we can. Or we can be vulnerable and confess what happened to the world and ask for help. And as they were wrestling with this, you just got a great sense for how difficult it, would, it was for them to, to simply ask for help in such a way. It required an element, a strong element of courage. And that's what we see here in this passage from the centurion, that faith asks because it acts itself out in, in significant courage in bringing yourself to Jesus. And I want to ask you something here at this point. Is asking hard for you? Are you, are you is it hard for you to ask for help? And even, even more so, is it hard for you to bring the desires of your heart to Jesus? Is that a level of courage that that can just feel steep to you? Or maybe you're embarrassed by your needs. There's something we're seeing in this passage. And you see it in so many stories of the life of Jesus throughout the Bible. Is that Jesus responds to the askings of the needy and the vulnerable with great care. That he doesn't reject them outright. In fact, what does Jesus do when he receives this request from the elders of the Jews? All it says is, and Jesus went with them. And you see this over and over in Jesus' life, just how gentle he is with the needy. And the way he hears desires and, and responds to them in a loving way. 
In fact, if you look at the thief, there's a thief on a cross next to him, and the thief asks Jesus something. He says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And with one of Jesus' last breaths, he is granting a request to the thief on the cross next to him, saying, today you will be with me in paradise. The character of Jesus that's before us says, I want you to ask these things of me that trouble your heart. Do not be afraid, but come to me. And faith asks and brings the things that concern our hearts the most to Jesus. And so faith manifests itself in asking because true faith understands something important. It's like supported by this deep understanding that's found in our faith. And you see it in this passage here. Look at verse 7. What does faith understand? Verse 7. He sends, the centurion sends messengers to tell Jesus he doesn't need to come all the way home, but say the word. Say the word and let my servant be healed. And right there, what you see is an understanding in the centurion that he understands something about the power of Jesus' words. And then he employs this illustration that demonstrates this thing out. He says, I too am a man whose words have some authority. Like when I speak, when I use my words, people have to respond to it. And what the centurion like demonstrates to us is the understanding that Jesus' words are so powerful that Jesus simply using them uh, has the power to heal this servant and the challenge of time and distance have no effect on them. Like the centurion understands just the sheer power of Jesus' words. It's not a stretch for us, I don't think, to understand that words are really powerful. Like we can understand that intuitively. In so many ways, you and I are seeing the power of words being used all through our lives and all around us. And one of the battles every day is trying to discern whose words I trust the most or whose words matter to me. And those are discussions that, that, are, that are really important for us. But I think we can at least agree on this, that words are only as powerful as the person who's using them. And one of the things we see in this passage is that when Jesus uses his words, they're incredibly powerful. Listen, it was, God was using his words when he spoke creation into existence. And Jesus was using his words when he healed the servant and when he forgave sinners. When Jesus came into the world, John says, the word became flesh. This whole book for us in so many ways is a testament to just how much God cares about his words. And he uses words to reveal to us, reveal himself to us. He uses words to call us to himself. And they don't get any more powerful than when God uses his words. Every, uh, every morning, and I mean every morning without fail, there's a, a man who I really respect and love. He's older than I am, and he's become a sort of a mentor to me. Every morning, he sends me a text of some words, some really valuable words, like this one. Here's some examples. 
if I can find them in my notes. Ah, here they are. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. That's Psalm 94, 19. Here's some more words God uses on your behalf. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Psalm 46.10. God's declaring words to us. Do not fear, for behold, a Savior is born to you. Luke 2.11. And what's this guy doing when he sends me these things? What he's trying to do is he's trying to help me. He's trying to shape me and deepen me and find comfort in God's words that were given to his people. That God's words are the most powerful thing that have the power to shape us, encourage us, deepen us in faith. And we understand that words, words have the power to, they can, they can encourage us, they can lift us high, or they can greatly discourage us. They can enchant the soul, or they can like kill us from the inside out. Words have that power. And Jesus was using words when he said things like, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or the famous words when he says things like, it is finished. Or here's one of my favorite where he says, my sheep hear my voice. When I use my words, my sheep can hear me. And I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And hear this, he says, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. And the challenge that I want to give for you this morning is just to ask you, how much do God's words matter to you? Are they an anchor to you in a, in a difficult and complex life, in a difficult and complex world filled with relationships and challenges that are in front of us? Do, how much do God's words anchor you in truth? How much can you trust them over and against the other words that we're making our way through the world hearing all the time? What the centurion is teaching us here is a deep and rooted understanding of the, just the sheer power of Jesus' words. So we see what faith does. It asks. We see what faith understands. It understands the power of God's word. What does faith value? In this whole passage, um, I, I just think it's... It's really, really fun. But there's this whole discussion of, uh, of what faith values, or really the value of a man. If you look at verse 5, you see that the, the centurion sends these um, elders of the Jews, which is a fascinating phenomenon in general, how the centurion was able to arrange that. But these elders of the Jews go to Jesus, and what did they say to, the, what did they say to the, Jesus? They said, He's, he loves our nation. He's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. They said, they said he's worthy. So they see uh, there's great value in the centurion. But at the same time, you, think, you see the centurion doesn't really value himself that way. And if you look at, at verse 6, he sends this party of friends to meet Jesus when he's on the way to his house. And he said, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. The servant, whereas the the elders of the Jews look at all of that the centurion has done for them, 
the way he's used his money and the way he's carried himself in their community, they ascribe great worth to the centurion. The centurion, on the other hand, doesn't actually feel that way about himself. None of his status, none of his wealth, none of the things that he's accomplished, and none of the things that other people are saying about him lead him to believe that he is worthy at all. When he lines himself up with just how powerfully worthy Jesus is. So faith values Jesus. And one of the most encouraging things about this passage is that Jesus values faith. If you, if, this is the kicker. Look at verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, it says he marveled at the centurion and then turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I seen such faith. He is now using a Roman centurion as an exemplar of faith to, to the Israelites. It's unbelievable. And there are, two thi- there are two times where we see Jesus marvel in his life. The first is at his own hometown. And he marveled at his own people's unbelief. And the second one is right here. Where he marvels at this man's abundance of faith. And if you're ever wondering what Jesus wants for you. If you're ever wondering if I'm enough or what I've done is enough, if you're ever wondering if the contents of my life please my God, then I want you to look at this story and see what Jesus values most in a person, and it's their faith. Jesus wants faith for you. And so when we look at the things that we ask, the things that we do, and when we look at what we understand, and when we look at what the centurion values, what we see here is that faith is this amazing gift that God has given to us that invites us to live a rich and intricate uh, trusting life with Jesus as we wait for him to come back for us and renew all things and set this world to, to, to rights. One of the most wonderful things about you, if you know God, one of the most wonderful things about you is that you have faith in Jesus that was given to you. One more thing. Because I I think being a Christian is hard. And and just like where I began, um, Jesus' sermon on the plane is as convicting as it is inspiring, right? Right? Like we can confess the goodness of it, and it, and it's still, um, and it still just feel really difficult for us. The walk of faith in this world while we wait for Jesus is difficult, and it's best for us to just kind of admit that and say that to each other right now. And I think it's only going to get harder for us. And these are times when we really need each other. And one of the best things that we can do for each other is encourage each other in the faith. And we have lots of questions. We're swimming in questions about what the truth of God's word says uh, and, and just what, how complex of a challenge it is for us to live out our faith in the world. What does it look like to follow Jesus and the things that I say and do? That's a hard question. In many ways, those conversations, as important as they are, are really about what Jesus, what Jesus wants from us. But this passage is so sweet to us 
Because it's what Jesus wants for us. That he wants, his deep, like, what he wants for us is for us to look at him with faith, with deep love, and it's the most valuable thing that we have. I mean, it happened years ago. I don't know what I actually said to my son when he asked me that, that tough question. I don't know. I think I probably confused him even more than he was when he asked me the question. And I'm just hoping for like more opportunities to have that conversation with him throughout his childhood. But you know what I wished I had said? Faith is what Jesus wants for us. And that faith is enough. Simply because Jesus is enough. Let me pray. How do we consider such love? That you call us to faith in yourself. You give us the benefits of faith. And you care for us. And I I think about the man that says, I believe, help my unbelief. And so help us as we labor in faith. Please deepen us in faith and encourage us in faith and help us to follow you and to take good care of each other and to bear witness to the goodness of your name as we make our way through these days. Help us, O Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.